The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What is your name? You know, if you really want to get a chance to personally know somebody and know them a lot deeply, you ask them that question, what is your name? So my, my, my middle child, Emma, she's nine, and she can make friends with practically anybody. And so anytime we go to like a park afterwards, she'd come running to us and say, Mommy, Daddy, I made a new friend today. And Margaret and I would ask her, what was their name? And more times than not, here's what Emma says. I don't know. And, and I have to scratch my head at that because I'm wondering how in the world can you possibly play with somebody for 45 minutes and have no clue who they are? I mean, how do you even get their attention? How do you call them over to come to you without knowing their name? And so right now, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get to know some people today. And so right where you're at in all of our locations, I want you to participate with me. Chambersburg, Hagerstown, I want you to participate with me. Turn to someone next to you and ask them, what's your name? Online, you can do the same thing. Put it in the chats. Put it in the comments. Ask someone, what is your name? Now, For many of you all, you know that my name is Jay, right? Or perhaps you're new with us here at Lifehouse, welcome home. And you didn't know that except for the fact that there was a huge bar on your screen that said Jay Recto. Now, I've been with Lifehouse for about a decade now, and I feel like I have to be a little bit more upfront and honest with you because my name's actually not Jay. This may actually come as a shock to you because you're wondering, have I just been calling you the wrong name for the last 10 years? Or, or has this been some kind of sick joke from the tech team that they just kept putting the wrong name on this poor guy's screen the whole time for a whole decade? Or maybe you're, 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 you're mind blown because I did your wedding and you're like, Jay, does that mean my wedding certificate is, is wrong? My real name is actually Jan. Now, growing up, I got made fun of a lot because I had the name Jan, especially during the first day of school. Now, for most kids, first day of school, they've got their eyes set with anticipation on the future, eyes set on hanging out with some awesome friends and making some some new memories with some amazing teachers. Not this guy. I'm conspiring how I can disrupt the dredged roll call. You educators and you teachers know what happens every first day of school. There is a roll call because every teacher wants to know their students by name. And I'm having to think how I can time my disruption just right so the teacher won't tell the whole class that my name is actually Jan. And without fail, y'all, I fail at it. And so there is this awkward moment every first day of school in every class that they take role when they say, Jan Recto? Is Jan Recto here? And the whole class is scanning the classroom for a lovely young lady named Jan. And then there's this awkward moment where this Filipino guy raises his hands and say, my name is Jan Recto. And y'all, that whole week, I literally have to lie to everybody around me. And, and I have to tell them, although my name is spelled Jan, it's fancy because it's French. And so you have to pronounce it Jean. 
Now, this kind of shows you the quality of company I kept around me because most people believed that this Filipino guy would have a fancy-sounding French name like Jean. But growing up, I had to ask my mom, like, Mom, why would you name me that name? And to make matters worse, my mom told me, the reason why I named you that is because of an individual that absolutely hated me. I was named after an individual that despised my mom, that made her life a living hell to the point where my mother grew bitter and resentful towards them, that even the sound of their name would make her blood boil, and she named me after them. And I've carried that name ever since. Let me ask you again, what is your name? I'm not talking about the name that you want everybody to know you as, like Mr. Six-Figure Salary or Mr. Nice Car. I'm not talking about the, the Mrs. Perfect Mom or, or Miss Perfect Attendance, Miss Always Got It Right or Mr. Perfect Himself. I'm not talking about that name. I'm talking about the name that's defined you. I'm talking about the, the label that you wish you could just lift off and leave out of your life. Talking about the name that's become your identity. Maybe it was the failed business that's defined you, or maybe it was the mistake that, that's made you who you are. Maybe it was the, the words that were said about you, or the words that were said uh, towards you. Maybe it's the things that was done to you, or the, the things that you did to someone else that made you who you are. You've, you've become that very thing. You see, we live in a world that is undergoing an identity crisis where we literally identify ourselves based on what someone else sees of us or perhaps what we want others to see about us. And we've placed our identities on these nice, little, meticulously crafted images of who we feel like we need to be. There was a city called Ephesus, population of about 250,000 individuals, a, a very spiritual city. And, and the people there were accustomed to creating and crafting these, these meticulous images of their gods and goddesses that they, that they placed their identities towards. And people would come during the holidays and they would worship these gods and goddesses. They would go to the temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. And they did all these little superstitious activities in hopes that they could remove the curses from these gods in, in hopes that somehow, some way, they can just earn the favor and the blessings from their gods, that somehow they can earn rain coming down on their crops, that they can earn the protection from, from war and in war from these gods. And, and the apostle Paul, while he was in Ephesus, he preached the gospel of Jesus and people started to respond. They responded in ways where they started to burn up these images, burn up these artifacts of witchcraft and sorcery, these pagan paraphernalias, equivalent to about 200 years worth of wages. You got to think about it. this. This was millions of dollars burnt up. Images that they had tethered their identity to. My persona was tethered to that pagan paraphernalia, and it's burnt up. And so if that's gone, then who, who am I? And this created a little bit of an uproar with different individuals. One individual in particular is a man named Demetrius. Demetrius was a business owner, and also he was a pagan priest. And he started to incite a crowd to try to kick Paul out of Ephesus. 
And he says this of Paul in Acts chapter 19. He says, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Look, Paul is turning all these individuals away from what we're believing. And he says that the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Paul was telling the people, look, your man-made gods are no gods at all. The, the, the gods that you've so uh, meticulously crafted into your image, made out of your own wealth and entertainment, they're not worthy to tether your identity to. And this discredited their superstitious activities that they could remove the curses from their gods, that they can earn the blessing from their gods. And they literally became like the very thing that they created. Their identity became like the, the images that they crafted. Worthless, powerless, and worst of all, false. Rather than God making them into his image, they created and crafted God into theirs. And later on when Paul left, he started to start new churches and, and he was imprisoned and arrested in Rome for preaching about the gospel of Jesus boldly. And while in prison, he started writing letters to different churches. And one church in, in particular that he wrote to was this church in Ephesus. And he was acknowledging the tension of this city that was so full of religious superstitious activities. The city that had been defined by something completely different. And so this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, one of the biblical definitions for that word grace is actually unmerited favor, riches, blessings. This was something that was counterintuitive to the individuals because they're thinking, no, 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 I have to earn favor. I have to earn blessings from, from God. And here's Paul. He's literally saying, unmerited favor, riches, blessings, and peace to you. Guess where it's coming from? From God. This was something countercultural in that environment because I have to do a certain spiritual activity, a certain superstitious activity to remove this curse. And here's Paul. He's saying, you're not cursed. You're blessed. You are abundantly blessed and you're blessed today that God is storing up blessings from, from, for you in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And he continues to say this in the next verse. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Paul was saying, before you crafted and created an image that you tethered your identity to, 
God created you in his image. God, God actually has given you an identity already, is to be holy and blameless in his sight so that you could be brought into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Why in the world would he do that? Paul says it's because of his pleasure and will. In love, he, he already chose this ahead of time. Basically, it's because he loves us and he wanted to bring us into his family so that our life would reflect his amazing grace. There, there is a principle I want to share with us this weekend. As Paul was saying this to the, to the people of Ephesus, I believe that this principle is also pertinent to the city of Chambersburg. I believe that this principle is pertinent to the city of Hagerstown, the city of Frederick, the, 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 the cities that our online campuses reach in our region that surrounds us. And it's this, that we must become grace-defined. We must become grace-defined. These individuals had been defined. Their identities had been crafted into the images of their God, false and faulty, powerless and worthless. And so Paul is saying, we need to become grace-defined, a grace that we cannot earn, uh, an identity to be holy and blameless. But, but wait a minute. Maybe as, 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 as we read Paul's writings you're, you're kind of like me, and you're like, wait a second, Paul. You said that we're called to be holy and blameless. If, if, there, if there was like a sheet of paper, and someone asks you, what do you identify as? Most of us won't check the box that says, I identify as someone who's holy. I identify as someone who is blameless in the sight of God. I don't feel holy. I don't feel blameless in the sight of God. And the, the truth is you don't feel holy and you don't feel blameless in the sight of God. Why is that? It's because the images we've created has corrupted our identity. It not only causes us to live blamed, but the names that we carry, the labels that, that we want to leave behind and lift off of our lives, it actually causes us to become unholy. And this is due to what biblical authors call sin. See, sin is any action, any thought, any intention that goes against God, that goes against the image of God. And this sin creates in us a, a pattern of destruction where it separates us from God and all things good forever. You see, when God created us, he created us in his image. But what sin did was it fractured that image and it distorted our identity. You see, our identity is irreparably ruined. Sin causes us to live trapped in this false identity, in this faulty identity, into living blamed, into becoming unholy, into becoming the less than best version of ourselves, which essentially leads to death. But not just death physically or mentally or emotionally. It's far worse than that. It's actually a death that lasts forever. A spiritual death where we are separated from God and all things good headed down a path of destruction and ruin. So how do we become grace-defined? How do we allow our lives to be defined by grace when it seems like the direction of our lives is destruction, when it seems like the identity that we so often fall into is living blamed, is becoming unholy? I, I want to give us some complimentary thoughts this weekend. And the first is this to become grace-defined by following 
Jesus. We have to become grace-defined first by following Jesus. I want to go back here to the text of Paul's writings. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure and he purposed in Christ. Paul says that God has lavished to us grace, unmerited favor, richest blessings. Now the word picture for that word lavished is not like grace is lacking. It's not like God is giving you a meager portion of his unmerited favor. It's not like God is giving you a a small portion of his richest blessings. It wouldn't even be his richest blessings if he's only going to give you a little bit of it. And Paul says he is lavishing his grace on us. It's not like Paul was saying, you know, he's going to give it to this person because this person looks a lot more holy or this person looks a lot more blameless. So he gets more grace and you just get just a tiny bit amount of grace. No, he's saying he's giving you grace and he's giving you grace in abundance. There's more than enough grace. How is this possible? In Paul's opening statement to the people of Ephesus, he says two words nine times. He says, in Christ. Hope in Christ, inheritance in Christ, chose us in Christ. And then after that, he says it eight more times. Why is that so important? Because it means that Jesus traded places with you and I. God loved us so much that he knew our sin would cause us to live trapped in a false identity. And so he sends grace down to us. Something that we cannot earn, a blessing that we could not work for, and he sends Jesus to trade places with us, to give our lives new new definition, a new identity. Jesus literally exchanged his perfection for our imperfection. He took on our shame and he gave us his name. When Jesus died and was punished, he died for us. When, when Paul says in Christ, what that means is we already received our death penalty. We already received our punishment when Jesus received it. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, what God saw was our sins. So that when God looks at us, what he sees is his son. When, when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive Jesus' payment But Jesus didn't remain dead. See, God lavished us with grace. There was more than enough grace that Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell, so that those that would believe in Jesus by faith would not only be forgiven, but would be granted new and everlasting life. When when we're saying we are in Christ, it means we are placing our faith in Jesus. We're receiving his grace. And when we receive his grace, his spirit causes us to live in this new identity, to be blameless and to be holy in his sight. There's some benefits to this, being in Christ. Because being in Christ means if Jesus is connected to the Father, if Jesus has communication with God, guess what? If you're in Christ, you do too. That's blessing. That's grace. If Jesus gets new and resurrected life, if you're in Christ, you get it too. That's unmerited favor. If Jesus gets to live in heaven forever and, and he has access to God's inheritance and blessings, if you're in Christ, 
you do too. When we place our faith in Jesus, we receive God's grace. And so, which leads me to our next, our next point, is to be grace-defined we fall in love with Jesus. We do so by falling in love with Jesus. We receive God's grace by faith. When we place our faith in Jesus and we begin to follow Jesus, all of a sudden grace becomes greater in our life. And the, the more grace becomes greater in our life, it grows our love for Jesus. And we fall more in love with Jesus. This is what Paul says. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, oftentimes we can be in such a rush to to do the very thing that we're called to be, right? We're, we're, we're so in a rush, and, and we're, we're so in a rush with other individuals. Well, if that's your identity, you, you better start doing it. You better start looking the part. God's called you to be blameless. God's called you to be holy, so, so do it. And I, and I believe that we have a good intention about it, but perhaps there's some grace that we have to put on it because perhaps many times what happens is in our pursuit to be holy, we do it via habit modification. If you just stop saying that, if you just stop doing that, if you just stop going there, and if you just stop thinking that, then you will be what God's called you to be. It's almost as though you could earn your identity thinking that way, right? But check out what Paul says. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. Perhaps while we're in this process of of wanting to pursue holiness by virtue of habit modification we can easily lose sight that God is more in the business of heart transformation where for me as a pastor I, I feel this tension and this temptation at times even as a dad and as a husband where if I can just get myself to be more Christian if I can get my kids and my my, my family to, to to be more holy and blameless if I can just get the people that I know to just stop saying that stop doing that and stop going there stop and you just fill in the blanks then then maybe the church collectively wouldn't have a bad name or maybe other Christians wouldn't feel so awkward. Maybe if, if there was a, a sermon that everyone could hear or maybe if there was a service that everyone could go to, then the light bulb is gonna come on and they're just gonna be completely transformed if someone just calls out the bad thing that they're doing, the sin that they're, they're carrying right now. Maybe, maybe that's gonna work. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Right, no one becomes transformed by, by the church or myself just calling out their sin. Oh, what happens? What changes it? Because think about it, what changed you? What changed me and what will, what will change them? Uh, think about the habit that you just now broke, that you've been trying to break for a while, or maybe it was the attitude, or maybe it was the mindset that you finally shook off. How long did it take? How gracious was God in the process? How patient was God with you and I? So what will change me? What will change you? What will change others? Falling in love with Jesus. When we fall in love with Jesus, all the other things begin to fall off. You see, I can't hate something 
bad enough, it, something that, that, that is bad. I can't hate it enough for a bad thing to be broken in my life that I've loved for so long. I can't feel bad enough to break a cycle because the sin cycle is there. The sin cycle makes us feel better when we do bad. And so it literally drives us to do bad because it makes us feel better. Here's what Paul was saying. He was talking to a lust lost individual, group of people that, that he's saying, I, I, I pray that you would get a spirit of wisdom and revelation. A revelation of what? A revelation of God's love. When you begin to see the revelation, the sea of grace, the sea of blessing, the sea of love that God is bestowing on you, it's overwhelming. He's saying, I pray that the eyes of their heart, I pray that the, the parts that's in the inmost parts of them would see the hope that they have, the inheritance that they have. And then he goes on that I pray that they would become enlightened to his incomparably great work. It is by the grace of God that we become more like him. It is by the grace of God that our love begins to grow and we become more like him. So what what do we do? We fall in love with Jesus. Now, I, I know that this is a little bit of a weirder concept, especially for, for us guys. So, fellas, follow me here. Think about it this way. Think about loving a hobby. Think about loving a show. Think about loving an activity. What takes place typically? You start thinking about it more, and you, all of a sudden you start doing more research about it, and all of a sudden you, you, you get obsessed about it, you start talking to experts about it, and then your, your shopping becomes different because you're shopping for that ha habit, you're shopping for that hobby, and then you start getting excited. And then all of a sudden you're inviting people into your excitement. Those same behaviors, I want you to focus it, I want us to focus it on Jesus. Imagine if we love Jesus the same way we loved our TV shows, our hobbies. I've got a TV show that I absolutely love. I binge watch it all the time where Netflix has to ask me, are you still watching? I mean, imagine if we love Jesus in that way where I can't wait. I can't wait to see what Jesus does next. I can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say next. Well, all of a sudden we start doing research on the life of Jesus and we want to start living like Jesus where our obsession becomes to the point where I'm obsessed with just wanting to please God. I'm obsessed with, 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 with wanting to, 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 to give him praise, with wanting to honor him with our life. But, but the reality is change cannot happen on our own strength. That kind of transformation does not happen on our own strength. Paul was saying his incomparably great power, which means that God is doing a great work to overwhelm us. It's going to take every bit of God's power to transform us into something we cannot become. So maybe you're in a position where you're like, man, I, I want to fall in love with Jesus because I want to look more like Jesus. And I know I want to pray more. It's going to take more than your willpower to pray more. Sometimes it, it's, it's as simple as Asking God for grace, God, would you give me the grace to want to pray more? And then he gives you the desire to pray more, and then you grow in your love for Jesus, and you become more like Jesus. Maybe it's, it's reading your Bible, and you're saying, man, I, I, I want to. I want to fall in love with Jesus, but it's just hard. I, I, I can't make myself fall in love with Jesus. 
God has incomparably great power to grant you the grace to fall more in love with him so that you can look more like him. God, would you give me the grace to, to love your word more? Would you give me the grace to want to spend more time with you? When we are grace defined, that means that our identity starts with Jesus, not us. That through his grace, he gives us more love to look more like him. You know, the reason why my mom named me that name, it wasn't because I looked like her bitterness. It wasn't because when she looked at her baby boy, she was reminded of her resentment. Because I had to ask my mom, like, why? If this person was so wretched towards you, if this person was so mean towards you, why in the world would you name them that? Why would you, why would you name me that? And, and she told me that the only way I could have ever forgiven that person, the only way I could have ever loved that person again was to name, name you after them. She gave the name a new definition. Surprisingly enough, the name Jan actually means God's grace. Maybe you're here today and there's a bunch of different labels and there's a bunch of different things that's identified you, that's defined you. Maybe it was the shame that's defined you. Today, can I tell you that God is in the business of a heart transformation, of a name redefinition, and he wants to place his grace on each of us today and that grace first comes and is received through faith in Jesus. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and make him the Lord and Savior of your life, would that be your response this weekend? Would you say, Jesus, I am turning away from that false and faulty identity that leads me far away from you. God, and I'm placing my faith in your son, Jesus. Would you, would you grant me the grace to receive your forgiveness and your forever life? Would your Holy Spirit cause me to live in my new identity, to become grace defined? If that's you today, I just want to say welcome home. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to our Lifehouse family. Would you let us know right now about your decision? There's going to be a QR code that's going to pop up on your screen. Would you scan that QR code right now? Look at all of our locations. Scan that QR code if you're making that decision. Because one, I want to let you know you are in a family here. And we want to celebrate your decision. Your campus pastors actually would love to, to contact you and give you some next steps. We want to champion your new decision and, and give you some next steps. Maybe you're here and you've already made that decision to follow Jesus. What area of your life do you need the grace of God so you can become a person that loves God in that area so you, you start looking more like Jesus? Is it in your spending? Is it in the way that you're, you're speaking? Is, is it in the way that you're responding even? What area of your life is God saying, I want to give you grace so that you fall more in love with me so that you look more like me? At all of our locations, I wanna invite you to stand. Look, perhaps you're here today and you're, you're in need of prayer. Our prayer teams are in, in all of our locations right now. Somehow, in some way, per, perhaps the, the way that today you're, you're gonna receive the grace of God or perhaps you're gonna experience the grace of God is just by coming up and, and receiving prayer. Look, our team, we believe in the power of prayer that God not only responds to prayer, but, but he acts on our behalf. He, he wants to lavish his grace on us in, in that process. I, I wanna pray for us today. And after we pray, we're gonna go into a song that, that literally focuses us on looking to Jesus 
looking at the grace of God and, and as we continue to focus, follow Jesus and fall more in love with him, everything else begins to fade away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you for individuals right now that are being defined by your grace through faith in Jesus. I thank you, God, that there is nothing that we could do to earn your love. There's nothing that we could do to, to work for your blessings and your favor. God, you wanna lavish it on us. And so we worship you. Father, allow us to be people that fall more deeply in love with you, that follow you fully so that we may be expressions of your grace in the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.